Hi, this is Dr. John Ankerberg. I invite you to dig into God's Word today with my dear friend, the late Dr. Wayne Barber, as he leads you verse by verse through the Bible. Turn with me, if you will, to Matthew, the fifth chapter. Matthew, the fifth chapters. And uh, Gordon Heska's little one came and said that she had a new name for the Beatitudes. What was it to see? That's the attitudes it ought to be. Is that right? (laughs) She said she knew why they were called the Beatitudes, because they are the attitudes that ought to be. I thought that was real good. We're talking about the laws of discipleship. As we're looking into the Beatitudes, I trust it's been a blessing to you. My prayer has been that it will get out of me like it gets into me. <laughs> I don't really believe the blessing is ever as good when it comes from somebody else as it does and the Lord just teaches you personally. Matthew chapter 5, and let's go back and review a little bit. Today we're looking at law number 4. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Well, let's go back to verse 1 and just a little bit of review. It says, In seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain. And when he was set, his disciples came unto him. Now, the multitudes were really interested in what Jesus had to say to his disciple. Disciple, Mathetes, one who allows the doctrine of another to translate and be transformed into his life. Verse 2, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit. I think the most exciting time in this whole study is the word blessed. For the word blessed does not just mean happy as we've seen it translated. But the Greeks would use that word blessed to speak of their gods. In other words, it meant to have the nature of God. And that's something that's inward, not outward. And of course, we live in the manifestation of that as we are obedient unto the Lord. But we have His nature. As 2 Peter says, as we have partaken of His divine promises, we have also partaken of His divine nature. So it says that we have the nature of God. But another meaning of the word blessed is that the Greeks would use it to describe their dead. And there has been a death in you and I. In Romans chapter 6, as those of us have died to sin, we, we died with Him. And of course, the word death there was referring to a realm of blessedness. They had left this world with sorrow and suffering and misery and had entered a state of blessedness. What it's telling us is that since we have the nature of God inward, we also have His nature, the peace of God. We can go through any circumstance of life, be crying on the outside, but have the peace of God on the inside. We have left the realm of having to be affected by the external things of this life. And of course, I know that you've been through tragedy in your life and sorrow in your life. And we've wept and we've hurt. But isn't it marvelous that the peace of God was on the inside, just beaming its way through us, giving us that dynamic that we're looking for in life. And the third meaning of the word blessed is fully satisfied. And of course the person who's fully satisfied is the one who recognizes he is indwelt by the nature of God and he does have that intangible quality of God that the tangibles of this world cannot touch. So blessed are the poor in spirit. The word poor there is the word for absolutely helpless. Not down and out on your luck and able to help yourself but absolutely helpless in spirit. Those who have come to a place in their life that they realize they're unable to help themselves spiritually, they cry out unto God, they become the blessed one. For God enters their life and gives them His nature and His person. And it says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Kingdom is the territory where a king reigns. A spiritual kingdom is set up within you and I that are saved, that have cried out being poor in spirit. God begins to reign in our life. Verse 4, blessed are they that mourn. 
Because we have His nature, we have His compassion. His heartbeat and our heartbeat are absolutely one. We grieve over those things that He grieves over. And all of a sudden we take on the sorrow for sin that's around us. Sin that has been in our life. And we grieve over that. And then it says, for they shall be comforted. And we came to the conclusion, or at least I did in my study, that how in the world can you be comforted and grieve at the same time? But I begin to understand that the more you grieve, the more the nature of God works in you, and the more God's heart begins to throb in you, the deeper you get into that state of blessedness, the more of a oneness that you have with Him. Then we have in verse 5, blessed are the meek. We saw two passive qualities, the helpless, and then we saw the, the mourning ones. Now we see the meek. This is when we sorrow over sin. We come to the place that it angers us. Meekness is a virtue. A virtue is something that stands in between Two extremes, the extreme of excessive anger, the extreme of excessive passivity. It knows when to be angry, but it knows what to direct its anger at. In other words, the Scripture says, be angry and sin not. We don't sin with our anger, for we do not war against the people. We war against the problem, the sin that we have been grieving over. Now we take action over. And it says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. What a marvelous revelation came to us in this, as we saw that we not to conquer the earth. We're to inherit the earth. And those things that God gives to us, we, we come back into an authority over the earth like we had in Genesis when God first made man to begin with. And we're able to satisfy that which God gives to us. There's a marvelous contentment in the Christian. Of course, verse 6 now says, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. That's interesting to me. In verse 3, we see the spiritually helpless but in verse 6, we see the spiritually hungry. You notice that? In verse 3, they saw themselves unable to help themselves spiritually, as we've seen ourselves. And then in verse 6, it says, Now that you're hungry, blessed are those which hunger and thirst after righteousness. You know what happened in my life, and I'm sure it happened in your life, when we came to know the Lord Jesus, we saw ourselves as spiritual helpless, and we came and partook of Him. And when you partake of Jesus, He is the bread of heaven. And once you have tasted of Him... There's a hunger that began that never leaves you. For the world never tastes the same again. Amen? It's just not the same. In John chapter 4, when Jesus came to the woman of Samaria, and she stood there and he said, Listen, as long as you drink from the water of this well, you'll never be satisfied. What water? What well? It was Jacob's well, the best of the water of this world. He was saying, as long as you drink of this water, you'll never be satisfied. But in verse 14 says, If you'll drink of the water that I have for you, you will be eternally satisfied with that. And that's exactly the experience I believe he's picturing right here. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. I would imagine that in the setting that day as a multitude surrounded Jesus teaching his disciples, that many of these folks were hungry and tired and thirsty under the hot sun, and perhaps they had brought their lunch with them. I don't know what they carried them in that day, but perhaps they had a sandwich, or I don't know if they ate sandwiches, but they began to eat during that time. And perhaps they had a beverage with them and they began to drink as that thirst had been created by the heat of that sun. And Jesus looked out and saw the people feeding themselves and saw them drinking. And He simply used a physical means of explaining a spiritual truth. And He simply said, Blessed are those, as they looked and saw these people eating and drinking, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Now He's not saying it's wrong to hunger and thirst after physical food. He's just simply wanting us to understand a spiritual truth. 
So three things I want to share with you this morning. And I want to also admit to you, we're not going to do justice to this verse. I want you to know, the more I got into it, the deeper it got. And I believe we could just stay year in and year out in this verse itself. But I want to share with you the things that God put on my heart. First of all, the characteristic of hunger and thirst. The characteristics of hunger and thirst. You know, most of us spend more time thanking God for the food, but ignoring thanking Him for the hunger. Have you ever thought of that? If you didn't have hunger, why would you want food? You'd never eat and you would cease to exist. But before you can eat, you have got to have hunger. And I thought... We're just missing the boat entirely. Why don't we thank God for the hunger and the thirst that He has put within us? That's that intangible quality that allows us and motivates us to eat the food and to be enriched. All right, let's look at some comparisons between physical food and or physical eating and drinking and spiritual eating and drinking. I think that we can see what He was trying to get across to His disciples. And if you're writing this down, number one, you can't make yourself hungry or thirsty. You ever tried to do that? We'll all say together in unison, we're going home and make ourselves hungry. You can't do that. You see, hunger and thirst is something you don't have any control over. Hunger and thirst is something that is innate to the physical being. If you're a person today, you have hunger and you have thirst. You did nothing to get it. It's just there. That's what God put within you. If you'll think about it, spiritual hunger is the same thing. Spiritual hungering and spiritual thirsting is not something that just a preacher can, can work up among a group. It's been so often that I have tried to do that. I've tried to create a hunger, but I have found the hunger is already there. If you're saved, you have spiritual hunger. You have spiritual thirst. So it's very important that when you become a Christian, you automatically get with the nature of God the hunger for God. Now, a lot of folks need to really listen as we go through this because I believe this pretty well covers all of us that are here this morning. The second thing about physical hunger that we can relate to spiritual hunger is this. Only the sick and the dead have no appetite. Only the sick and the dead have no appetite or do not hunger or thirst. Now you know for sure that if you walked in the local funeral home and there was a dead body there, it's not going to hunger a lot. It has no appetite whatsoever. You cannot entice a dead person with any kinds of food. You also know that many times you have gotten sick because of some virus and you're just not hungry. It's one of the ways I always know something's wrong with my children, particularly Stephen. <laughs> when he won't eat, I know something's wrong because he is about to run me out of house and home now. All right, so spiritual hunger. The ones who don't have an appetite are the ones that are either sick or they're dead. And then scripturally, put that together, spiritually. You see, a person who is spiritually dead has no appetite. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. Many times I would stand and preach the Word of God and wonder why some people cannot stop looking at their watch. And I've shared this with you before. Some people pick it up, you know, start banging on it. That's when I worry about it. You know, they just can't stand it. They're just not hungry. What's wrong with them? I'll tell you, they're either dead or they're sick. They're either dead spiritually, they're sitting in churches, they've been church but never changed. They're not interested in the Word of God. You see? Or they're sick. How do you get sick spiritually? By failing to obey the Word of God. When your life becomes back like it was when it was lost, you begin to do what you want to do when you want to do it, the way you want to do it. What happens is you become spiritually sick. And when you get spiritually sick, your appetite goes away. One of the first things that happened to Jonah in Jonah the first chapter was it said the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, which it'll always do, and I'm sure Jonah had a hunger for it. But the moment it came to him, it told him what to do. He said no. 
And when he said no, he began to get sick spiritually. And you see, that's what happens to the Christian. And so only the sick and the dead are those who have no appetite. I was at a retreat not long ago, and I asked them, how many of you, and it was young people and adults together, and I was just real curious. I want to do this this morning, but I'm not, <laughs> I promise. But I asked them, I said, how many of you spend at least 10 to 15 hours a week, excuse me, watching television? And do you know that almost only two of that group did not raise their hand out of 60-some? I said, okay, good, fine. How many of you spend just equal time in the Word of God? And they all looked at each other, are you kidding? Who is this guy? Where is he from? 16 hours in the Word of God, and they all did, nobody raised their hand. So I said, okay, hold on, I'm going to back off of that. How many of you spend as much as five minutes a day in God's Word? And not one single individual in that room raised their hand. What's wrong with that group? They're sick, and some of them are dead. There is no appetite in their life. We need to understand that. What is it that makes us not want the Word of God? You're either dead spiritually or you're very sick spiritually. You have been outside the will of God and therefore that has put down your appetite for the things of God. We need to hear that. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2 says, Desire the pure milk of the Word that you might grow in respect to your salvation. You will desire it. God has put the desire within you. All right? You can't make yourself hungry. You can't make yourself thirsty. It's innate. It's part of you. It's the nature of God working itself in your life. Secondly, only the sick and the dead have no appetite. But thirdly, no one has the resources to feed himself. In other words, he doesn't contain that which he needs. Now, you look at the local... Uh, <laughs> I hate to say this because sometimes there are folks sitting out there and you think I'm looking at you. And I'm not going to look, okay? You look at the local fat person. <laughs> I didn't see anybody, I promise. <laughs> Matter of fact, I got on the scales the other day and it says, come back when you're by yourself. You know, but I'm not looking at you. <laughs> but you look at the local fat person, whoever it is, and you ask that person, hey, you know what? You've stored up a lot of food, haven't you? Well, I sure have. Well, then you ought to be able to feed yourself. You've got enough stored up to last you another 10 years. Do you think they can feed themselves? No. You see, they have to have that which is outside of themselves. And that's exactly the way it is spiritually. We cannot feed ourselves. The food that God has for us is not something we can store up. It's something we have to freshly go and get. It's that which He gives us fresh daily in our lives. A friend of mine called me from... Mississippi, and Bill, you're, you'll know him, Martin Chastain. And Martin called me, and he was hurting. Oh, listen, he's a, he's a man who loves God. And he was so hurting, he said, Wayne, I want God to do something in my life so badly. He said, I've lost 20 pounds. He said, at night, I run and I run and I run until I'm nauseous. He said, I want so much for God to do something in my life. He said, what's wrong with me? Am I going crazy? And I thought to myself, oh, God, that you'd put that attitude in my life. Oh, God, that you'd give me that hunger for the things of you that I would absolutely be willing to turn from anything in this world to have what you have to give to me. That's what he's speaking of. Blessed are them that hunger and thirst for righteousness. Well, number four along this line of comparison, the more you eat or drink, the more you can eat or drink the next time. The greater your capacity becomes. Now, I'll give you a real tangible evidence of that in my family. Stephen, if you'll ever take us out to eat, if you ever do, most folks only do it once. <laughs> then, they have, then they have to go to the bank and you know, get back right again. But when we go, I, I want to warn you, uh, I eat a lot. But I want you to know that my little girl, she's been very nice. She's just grown up just normal. But Stephen, I don't know what's happened to him. 
He eats more than I do. And when we go out to eat, people make the remark, Man, your kid sure does eat a lot. And I say, Yeah, you know why he eats so much here? Why? Because he eats that much at home. He practices it. He eats all the time. It's a 24-hour clock going to the refrigerator. Now, you see, the more he eats, the more the capacity gets for him to eat. You see? And a lot of people spiritually cannot sit in a service longer than 15 minutes. Have you ever watched this? Matter of fact, most churches, this church has not done it. Oh, thank God it hadn't done it. Don't you dare tell me this because it's been sweet for nine months. But most churches that I've been into tell me this. Now, preacher, there's a trap door behind the pulpit. And at a certain hour, we pull the lever and you go down. It's that when I first went to Lexington, they had a big sign on the door that said, this is 12 o'clock. And had a big old clock drawn and had, had the picture of the hands up trying to get the point across. Didn't bother me a whole lot. But you know what this is saying to me? You know what this is saying to me? This is saying to me that people who sit on the teaching of the Word are not that, don't have the capacity to receive that much. If you can listen for 10 minutes, mark it down. That's how much you spend time in the Word of God during the week. If you can listen for one hour, that's how much time you spend time in the Word of God during the week. When the Spirit of God is ministering the Word of God, you can only receive that which you have the capacity to receive. And it's just like physical eating. If you don't eat anything for three days, you can't eat anything for three days. It seems like your whole appetite just goes down. But my friend, you spend time eating, and you're going to spend time eating again. And the capacity grows. And that's the way it is with spiritual things. Blessed are those who hunger and who thirst after righteousness. Well, the more you eat or drink, the greater the capacity you have to eat or drink the next time. And then number five. I just have five things here. When you have put to use that which you have eaten, you're hung, you hunger again. Now, aren't you glad for that? Aren't you glad that, that he didn't say here, blessed are you who hungered and were filled? He says, blessed are you that are hungering and continue to hunger and continue to hunger, for you shall be filled over and over and over and over again. You eat a meal today at lunchtime. And uh, most of you have learned now to set your clock for your roast about 1 o'clock. Matter of fact, one day, somebody came to me and said, I'm mad. I said, why? They got home and still had 20 minutes for the roast. <laughs> they finally learned. But you see, you eat today at lunchtime. What's going to happen tonight after the service? Most of you do what I do. You kind of have a good afternoon and you don't eat before church. You go out. And then after church, you all invade Shoney's. I know, I've seen you up there. And uh, what happens? What are you doing up there? Well, we're just fellowshipping. No, you're not. You're eating. How come you're eating? You just ate at lunchtime. Well, yeah, but that which we ate then has already been used. We need more food. You see? Somebody says, oh, I don't need to go to church all during the week. Well, I can just go one time. Where would you get that? You go once, you'll go twice. You go three times. What's going to happen? You're going to eat more and more and more and more and the capacity is going to grow and God is going to do something in your life. There's a whole lot of comparison between physical eating and spiritual eating. Aren't you thankful that our Lord was so practical to get right down on a tangible basis where we can understand it? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. And His disciples were watching these people feed their face all over the side of that hillside, drawing the conclusions of the spiritual truth that God had breathed to them. So we see the characteristics then of eating. You can't make yourself hungry or thirsty. Only the sick or the dead have no appetite. No one has the resources to feed himself. He must go outside of himself. And the more you eat or drink, the greater your capacity is to do it again. And fifthly, when you put to use that which you have eaten, you always will hunger again. Thank the Lord for that. Now, let's look at the meaning of righteousness. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, I'll tell you what, if you want to stand up here and try this and explain a word like righteousness, I'll welcome you. It's very difficult. 
I tried and I tried. And I, I've got everything I could get a hold of. And I said, God, make it so that a person can put his handle on it. Okay? Now, I'm going to try my best. Now, no, I'm going to let the Lord do it. But I tell you what, anything that doesn't get out of me, somehow I haven't seen yet. This Word is awesome. And to bring it into a little sermon on a Sunday morning baffles me as to what we're even trying to do. But let me just see if I can narrow it down so we can better understand it. The meaning of the word righteousness, first of all, is inherently right. Inherently right. Inherently just. The second thing. Inherently right. Inherently just. Without failure. Without deficiency. Now, you say, Wayne, is that all it means? No, that's not all it means. That's just the four words I came up with. There's so much more to it. Let me see if I can go a step further. Let's look at it as it's applied to the Lord God. Look in John chapter 17 and verse 25. Chapter 17 and verse 25. At this word, righteousness, as it's applied to God Himself. It says in verse 25, O righteous Father, who is God? He is righteous. He is inherently just. He is inherently right. In Him there is no sin. There is no failure. There is no discrepancy. There is no deficiency. He is God. Now tomorrow, don't miss part two of this great teaching on verse-by-verse Bible study with Dr. Wayne Barber. For additional resources, log on to jashow.org. That's jashow.org. 